You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15, and I'm going to read down to verse 29. We're actually just going to focus on mainly verse 28 and 29 today, but I want us to get a running start. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth and heaven or in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in verse 28 and 29, this is where I'm going to focus mainly today. For him, speaking of Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want to pray for us one more time. Will you pray for me as I pray for you? Father, we have a short window left in our gathering where um, I pray that we will be able to, to just be unburdened by the distractions of the world and to focus on your word. I think there will be some things that I probably say today that might make some of us uncomfortable. It might push us and pull us. Um, And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that I don't say anything that you wouldn't ask me to say. And I ask if there are areas where where I step out of of boundaries and I say things maybe I shouldn't or I push too hard or, or don't push hard enough, I just trust, Holy Spirit, that you will do whatever work needs to be done in the hearts of each person here. So please use this message to stir our hearts towards you. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as you can probably tell, I've been working out with Adam since August. And um, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, that hurts, but that's okay, cool. Um, I'm at the gym with Adam, and he's about to bench press the most weight that he had benched in a five-system or five-set system that we've been running since around August. And just whenever he was about to prepare for his final and most challenging set, my brother, who manages Anytime Fitness, appears out of nowhere, and he's like, say, you guys want some nose torque? I was like, what? 
He goes, some nose torque, man. You guys want some nose torque? And I'm looking and I'm like, what in the world is nose torque? And he said, oh man, well nose torque, it's like these smelling salts, man. And when you smell it, it'll just light you up. Like it'll sting the nostrils, but in a good way. He's like literally in a way that when you smell it, it'll just clear your mind. It'll free you from the cares of the world. All you will do is just focus on the weight that is ahead of you. And so when you're going to do a lot of weight like Adam's about to do, you'll be focused, you'll be intense, and you will be able to do more than you've ever done. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what are we talking about here? Like, is this even legal? You know? And, and, and Adam, like, before I can even ask any questions, he grabs a smelling sauce. And I so wish we had some pictures on the screen. But I know Jesus is bigger than the humor that we would get from seeing the pictures that I have of Adam when he's uh, smelling the smelling salts. But, but Adam, he takes one whiff of these smelling salts. And just imagine if there was a picture on the screen right now, you'd all be laughing really hard at it. Because Adam, like, takes a smell and he just, like, does, like, I don't know, some sort of crazy maneuver where he just makes the most awful look on his face you could imagine. He throws the smelling salts aside. He he lays down, and then what he does next is he takes 170 pounds, which is the most that he had done in this system at this point, and not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times in a row, Adam lifts the 170 pounds, he finishes his set, and he gets another milestone in his life towards becoming the beast that he has set out to be. Now, here's what I want you to think about, okay? Some of you gym rats in here, all right, like Vic uh, back there, good to see you, uh, who benches like 700 pounds with one arm or whatever it is, <laughs> right? Guys like him, and I know Scott Claygorn, who's clearly a monster as well, right? <laughs> You're thinking to yourself, man, 170 pounds, what's the big deal? But here's what you got to understand about Adam. On August 11th, whenever Adam walked into the gym, this guy was lucky to push up 115 pounds. Not kidding. Okay, 115 pounds. And yet over time, what I want you to consider is as he continued to work out his muscles, as he continued to remain faithful to going into the gym and putting in the work, even when he felt like throwing in the towel or even days he didn't feel like working out, right? Because he kept pushing, because even at times he used legal substances like nose torque or whatever it's called to, to help give him right, an extra push and extra energy, because he stayed with it, what happened is as Adam kept pushing, as he kept working out, as a result, he experienced an undeniable amount of progress in the gym. And the reason I share all that is, listen, when we come to the scriptures, what we discover is when the Bible talks about our faith, it doesn't speak of it in this static sense, as if like, oh yeah, here's my faith and now I can just set it over there. But our faith, the Bible speaks of it, is like a muscle, as something that we are called to work out, as something we are called to exercise and stretch. And what we will see in our text today is that as we do this, as we are all called to do it as Christians, we will, in fact, have a spiritual gain that is so obvious to you and me that it is just as obvious as the physical gain we've seen Adam make in the gym. And, and there's a lot of different texts that I could turn to um, to kind of talk about this, but one of my favorite is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I was going to put it on the screen for you, but just try to listen carefully. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, Paul says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Listen to this language. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then in verse 15, listen to what Paul says here. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. 
Paul says, as important as it is to exercise your physical body so you can make physical gains, how much more important is it for you to exercise your spiritual body so you can make spiritual gains? Paul says, working out at a gym is great. And if you're looking for a gym, I encourage you to try Anytime Fitness because that's where my brother manages that, okay? Working out at a gym, he says, is great. Physical exercise, that's a good thing. But he says, spiritual exercise is far greater because it not only makes you fit for today, it makes you fit forever. And therefore, Paul says in verse 15, we need as a church, as Christians, as followers of Christ, to be intentional about how we exercise our faith. He says that we need to put into practice our faith so that over time, literally, here's what he says in verse 15, that you will grow and you will mature in such a way that everyone around you will not be able to deny the spiritual progress that you are making. According to Colossians chapter 1, Paul says in the text we just read earlier, this is my central burden in my ministry. Paul says the reason I am a pastor, the reason I do what I do is to help you as Christians to make spiritual gains, to help you grow up, to help you to mature in Christ in such a way that you make a progress where it is clear that where you are today is not where you are a year from now. And just so you know, this isn't just Paul's burden. This is our burden as pastors. One of the reasons we do membership renewal every single year, and by the way, I don't know of any of the churches that do that. We don't do it because somebody told us we should do it. We just have a burden for it. And the reason we do it every year is because we don't just want people coming in here and hanging out. Like, as much as I really do, like, in a sinful way, like the fact that, that we grow because it builds up my ego at times. It makes me feel like, hey, I'm, I'm a success. You know, I'm not a failure as a pastor. At the end of the day, more than I just want to build my ego, I want to build you up in Christ. And membership renewal is a way that we do this. As pastors, we want to see you grow. We want to see you experience more joy and more peace and more life and more of the love of Christ you were created to experience. And therefore today, as we kick off this new series, I want to talk about what this growth should look like in your life. I want to make sure this isn't ambiguous for us. I want to talk about what spiritual progression should look like. And the first thing that you need to see from Colossians chapter 1 is that if you want to grow, if you want to progress in your faith, if you want to get over the hump from where you are to where you want to be, what you have to see is that Christian maturity is obtained first and foremost and finally in the redemption and person of Jesus Christ. If you want to become the man or the woman that you long to be, the power to grow is found in Christ and Christ alone. And this is what Paul says in verse 15 through 20. I don't have time to drill down in this text, but basically in verse 15 through 20, uh, to summarize this little section of Colossians 1, what Paul is saying here is this. Listen, if you want to grow up, you have to look at Jesus. Because he says in verses 15 through 20, there is no one higher, there is no one brighter, there is no one stronger, there is no one more beautiful or more significant than Christ. He is before all things, he is in all things, he's created all things, he rules over all things. And then in verse 20, what he says is this great and majestic Jesus, he loves you so much that he left a perfect place in heaven and he came to this earth so that through his own bloodshed, he can reconcile you to God. So that now you and I can have peace with him. So that we can go from being enemies of God to being his beloved sons and daughters. And then he says in verse 22, he did all of this so he can present us holy and blameless before God. Not because of our work, but because of his work. And Paul says, man, if you want to grow, you have to get this. You have to know that because of the work of Christ... 
Because that you are now in him, that you are loved perfectly and unconditionally by God. This is what Paul says is true of us because of what Christ has accomplished. And he says, man, if you want to grow, you have to get this. You have to fix your eyes on the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says in the next following verses, not only if you want to grow, do you need to understand the majesty of Jesus. But he says in verse 26 and 27, you need to also grasp the mystery of Jesus. And what does Paul mean by the mystery of Jesus? Well, in verse 26 and 27, he tells us. He says that basically now, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, not only can we have Christ beside us, but because he has sent us his very Holy Spirit, we can have Christ in us. And the reason that is so important is because what that means in Listen, what that means is no matter who you are or where you come from, if you have Christ in you, you know what you have? You have a guarantee that you can change. You have a guarantee that you don't have to walk around this ball and chain of like, well, it's just the way I am. It's just the way I was born. This way my mom and my dad was. It's just a generational thing. No, no matter who you are or where you come from, you can change. You can grow because Christ has been placed inside of you. Rankin Wilburn says it like this in his book, Union with Christ. This is the same Christ who overcame every temptation and was perfectly obedient. That Jesus is now in you. The Jesus who had compassion on the crowds and who healed the sick, that Jesus is in you. The humble Jesus who led as a servant and washed his disciples' feet, he's in you. The Jesus who repeatedly shattered racial and socioeconomic barriers with his teachings and life, that Jesus is in you. The Jesus who suffered and loved to the end, He dwells in you. And the Jesus who was raised to new life, that Jesus is living in you right now. Do you realize if you're a Christian, what kind of resources you carry inside of you right now? You ever stop to think about, like, like, like if you've truly trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that the same Jesus who conquered death dwells in you, which means no matter what you're facing in your life, you're not facing it alone. And therefore, you have every power that you need to do the things that God has called you to do. Paul says, man, if we want to grow, we got to get this. We have to understand the majesty of Jesus. We have to understand the mystery of Jesus. And then he goes from the majesty to the mystery to talking about his ministry. And what does Paul say his ministry is all about? He says in verse 28, it's to present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. Paul says, as a pastor, this is why I toil. As a pastor, this is why I struggle. As a pastor, this is why I work hard day after day after day with all of my energy because my goal is to help you grow up more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And and this is just like such a universal call on Paul's life. I mean, in verse 28, if you notice again, he says, man, this is why I proclaim Christ. He says, if you notice, he said, this is what my ministry is all about. He says, I'm warning everyone, I'm teaching everyone, and I'm doing it all so I can present everyone, he says, mature in Jesus. A little over a year ago, I was in a wreck in the Dollar General parking lot. And basically what happened, I was leaving, and a woman just hopped in her car, and as I'm like driving by, she just backed right into me, kind of like T-boned me a little bit with the back of her car. And when I got out of my car to go meet with her, um, and side note, this has nothing to the sermon, it's just kind of weird, thought I'd share it, but uh, I get out, and this girl that I'd kind of dated in college, uh, hadn't seen her since college, didn't end well, she looks at me, and she said, that was Jared's fault, and then just like walked in Dollar General. I was like, well, that's kind of awkward. You know, it's like, good to see you too, you know. But anyways, um, 
this woman hits me, and I go, and we talk, we exchange numbers. When I get back in my car to try to drive home, rather than being able to hold my hands at a 10-2, I'm holding it at a 12-6, just literally to try to keep my car on the road. Like, it's that jacked up. And so, clearly, I had to go and get my car realigned, right? It was out of whack, and I needed a realignment in order to keep me in a way where I could drive straight down the road and make the progress that I needed to make. And what Paul says in this text is, man, that's what my ministry is all about. He says, as a pastor, my goal is to help you realign your heart and your life with Christ so that you can make the spiritual progress that you are called to make in this life. And there's other places in the scripture where Paul talks about this. I think one of the clearest places is in Ephesians. And so um, if I can, I want to read this to you. I can't put it on the screen, but but if you want to turn there, you can. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, I think it'd be really good for you to put your eyes on this if you can. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul says, And he, speaking of God, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. Right? Talking about he's given those to the church. Verse 12. Why? To equip the saints, and that's you. Saints are Christians. Christians are saints. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For what reason? For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, or I think a better translation of that is to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So let me just stop right there and say this. Again, what Paul is saying here is the reason God gives leaders to the church. Here's the reason why. You ready? Here's why you need pastors. Here's why you need leaders in the church. According to the scriptures, it is to help build you up in the faith. It is to help equip you so that you can actually minister to one another in such a way that you're building each other up. And as a result, he says here in verse 13, we are able to reach right a fullness in Christ. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, look at this, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by the joint which is equipped when every part is working properly, makes the body of Christ grow up and build itself up in love. Now, If I can just sum that up, and please hear me. What Paul is saying here is this. Perpetual immaturity. Perpetual immaturity is not an option for anyone who claims to be a member in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that again because we really need to feel the weight of that. Perpetual immaturity. Listen, guys, if you're a Christian... Perpetual immaturity is not to be desirable, nor is it even optional, according to Scripture. So what that means then is I think the question we should be asking is if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, is well, what does it mean to grow up? What does maturity really look like so that I can know if I'm actually maturing in my faith? And I think the best way to answer this question uh, the best way to kind of understand spiritual progression, I think, is, is by comparing our spiritual com- uh, progression to a natural biological progression. And, and what I mean by that is I think one of the best ways we can wrap our minds around spiritual maturity is by thinking through our own physical maturity when we go from being an infant to a child to an adolescent to an adult. 
okay? And I think this will make sense more as we kind of dive into it. So, so think about an infant for a second. Infants are phenomenal, but they're also a phenomenal mess, amen? And the reason they're a mess is because they can't do anything, right? I, I mean, they literally, they, they can't feed themselves. They can't set up on their own. They can't even sleep right, Right? I, I mean, and you know this. Like, if you've been a parent to a newborn, you know the feeling whenever someone comes up to you at like 4 p.m. and they're like, Oh, look at your little girl. Isn't she so precious? Isn't she so sweet? And you're like, Yeah, you know why? Because she's sleeping at 4 p.m. You know why she's sleeping at 4 p.m.? Because all she did at night was just cry her head off. Like, that's why she looks sweet and precious right now. Right? I, I mean, and you know this is true. Like, like infants, they are incredibly messy, they have an amazing amount of potential. But they have an amazing amount of potential to also create mess and difficulty in the life of a parent. I remember whenever we uh, had Nora, our first child, and we're at the hospital. And the nurse comes in. It's our first child. So they read us like a book. And basically, here's 25 ways you can kill your kid. Right? And you maybe remember this whenever you had your child. Or maybe it was just me and Megan. They maybe sent something. I don't know. And so they read this to us. And I remember thinking, and they're reading it like, I'm going to kill Nora. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep her alive. Like, they're like reading off the list. And then eventually, after, that's the last thing they do before they let you go. They read all these ways you can kill your kid. And they're like, all right, now you're dismissed. And I'm like, are you not going with this nurse? Like, I don't like, I can't believe you're going to trust us. With this child, and many of you know that whenever I got home with Nora, I mean, I thought my life was over because I was constantly worried about her. I just didn't know what to do with her, right? Like this little thing. And, and I remember like my wife one day had to like go run an errand and she just left me with Nora. And I remember like she just cried and cried and cried. And I just want to like hold her up and be like, please just tell me what you want, right? But she couldn't tell me because she's, like, infants don't even really know what all they need. And here's my point. If you are an infant, right, you are in a messy stage. You are in a very needy stage. Infants are messy. Infants are needy, but infants are amazing. And I just want you to know, if you're here today and you're a spiritual infant, man, I'm so glad that you are in our church. If you're a spiritual infant, we value you. We treasure you. Because you know what a spiritual infant is? A spiritual infant is someone who is finally trusted in Jesus Christ. A spiritual infant is someone who no longer just sees Jesus. Hey, we got words on the screen. All right, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> good work, Ryan. Uh, yeah, yeah. A spiritual infant is someone who no longer just sees Jesus as a good idea or a good person or even someone who died on the cross for the sins of the world, but they're people who believe Jesus died on the cross for them. And they're people who, as a result, have taken their sins to Christ and they've experienced forgiveness and therefore they, they love Jesus because they know Jesus has first loved them. And they worship Jesus and they follow after Jesus. This is what it means to be a spiritual infant. And so, yes, spiritual infants, they make a ton of mess, but it's a beautiful mess. And I just want to say this as a church. I hope that mess never goes away in fellowship. Fellowship is a messy church. And you know why? Because fellowship gives birth to new spiritual infants. And the moment this church stops being messy is the moment we stop giving birth to new spiritual life. So we love spiritual infants here. And if you are in that stage, if you're in the spiritual infancy stage, like, no, man, you are valued, you are treasured. But please listen to me very carefully. Though we love spiritual infants, our hope is that nobody in here remains a spiritual infant. Our hope is that if spiritually speaking, you were in the infancy stage that a year from now, you won't still be in the infancy stage. 
Because listen to me carefully, guys. No infant should stay an infant forever. I want to say that again. No infant should stay an infant forever. And therefore, our prayer as pastors is that as members of this church is that over time, you're going to develop. You're going to grow. You're going to take in the milk. It's going to nourish you. Eventually, you're going to go from able to feed yourself to, to feeding others. And so, uh, you know, eventually you'll go from being an infant to, to the next stage, which is being a child. And what's the difference between being an infant and being a child? Well, there's lots of differences. But I would say just a few are this. An infant is someone who can actually take care of themselves. They can, right? An infant can begin to actually feed themselves. I mean, a child. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, a child. A child is someone who can take care of themselves. A child is someone who can, right, feed themselves. And parents, you remember what this is like, right? Whenever finally you could eat a warm meal because your child could feed him or herself, right? It's an amazing, like, milestone to reach. A child can not only feed themselves, a child can, can clothe themselves, a child can, can brush their own teeth, they can wipe their own darn bottoms, right? I mean, and not only can children take care of themselves, they can actually also begin to take care of others. Unlike an infant, an infant just demands the attention of everybody else in the room. They're just consumers. But, but a child goes from being a consumer to being a contributor. I was thinking about Sonia. I don't know if she's in the room today, but the one who owns uh, Hyde Park and has been coming here. And I was thinking about just this past week, I was at Hyde Park with Adam and Kenny Ford and her daughter, who, what do you think? She played 10? Something like that. She was serving us. She came and took our drink order and, and everything. And that's one way you can know that you're growing as a spiritual child. You actually begin to serve others. But you know what I think the biggest difference is between an infant and a child? I think the biggest difference between an infant and a child is that a child is one who is growing in an awareness of their father's love for them. And here's what I mean by that. Dad, you know this. When an infant is born, they're oblivious to everyone in the room but mama. Right? I mean, dads with newborns, you know this. Like, at least for me, for with my experience, like the first three or four months of my kids' lives, I really felt like they were like these little aliens that basically just like abducted my wife from me. But what begins to happen over time as this infant grows? They begin to look at dad. They begin to smile at dad. They begin to be more aware of dad. They eventually crawl to dad and they walk to dad. They, they run to dad. They become more aware of their father's presence and love for them. And listen, guys, spiritually speaking, the same is true. You want to know how you're growing and you're becoming a spiritual child? You're going from infancy to childhood? is you actually begin to be confident that God the Father loves you, listen to me, even whenever you sin. I think, and if I'm wrong on this, somebody can correct me later, I honestly think that more than God being grieved by our sin, I think what grieves God's heart more than our sin is the fact that we won't take our sin to him. I I, I really do. I think that, that nothing grieves the heart of God more than our hard thoughts towards him. And some of you need to hear this today because, listen, some of you have blown it big time this past week. Some of you have committed some big sins, and you know what? You think God hates you for it. God does not hate you for it. Listen, God is a loving Father who stands with arms wide open wanting you to bring your sin and your fear and your shame and your guilt and all of those things to Him. And one of the ways to know that you're growing spiritually is whenever you actually begin to go to Him even in your brokenness and your fallenness. 
I know when I first became a Christian, I used to write my journals all the time. Like, I just wish I could die. I mean, I, I hated myself. I would, I would remember thinking, you know, I want to pray to God right now, but because of this sin I just committed, I can't pray to him. He would never listen to me, so I guess I'm just going to go read Leviticus so I can try to prove to him that I really love him, and then maybe he'll talk to me. That's spiritual immaturity. Maturity means that when you sin, yes, you mourn your sin, but you run to God quickly, and you know that you will receive grace and mercy and love from the Father. This is a sign of spiritual growth. And then listen, only whenever you're meditating on that love, and you never move on from that, but only whenever you meditate on that love of God the Father and you begin to pour into others rather than just wanting everybody to pour into you, then and only then can you move into the next stage of spiritual development, which is the stage of adolescence. And here's the thing about adolescence. Adolescents are gangly. Adolescents are awkward. Right? Because adolescence is a stage where you basically have the physical strength of an adult but the emotional capacity of a child in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that in like a derogatory sense, but a delightful sense. Because here's the thing, though, adolescence can be a confusing time. It can really be a beautiful time. Because if you will, in your adolescence, press into Christ, what will happen when you press into Christ with all of your passion and all of your angst and all of your questions and all of your dreams, then and only then will you finally begin to understand your purpose in life. Then and only then can you begin to understand who you are in light of who Christ is and who you are and what to say yes to and what to say no to and what your limitations and your capacity is. This is one of the reasons we do things like the Enneagram and, and, your, and your membership renewal. You'll see this in gifting tests because we want you to grow up. And one of the ways you grow up is by understanding who you are. There's nothing harder to be around than a person who's not self-aware. Adolescence is a stage where you become self-aware. Does that make sense? And so I would just say this about adolescent stage. Here's one of the big dangers if you're in the adolescent stage, and please hear this. I think every stage, um, what we tend to do is when we leave one stage and we step into another, we kind of look down on the stage we used to be in. And and so if you're a child, right, or if you're an infant and you step into childhood, you kind of look and you think infants are really silly and, you know, whatever else. Or if you're an adult and you step out of adolescence, you really think people are idiots, right? You're like, teens, you know, whatever else, right? Here's the danger with adolescence. You know the danger with adolescence? Not only do they look down on the people behind them, they look down on the people in front of them. They can, right? Not only do they think children are idiots, a lot of times they think adults are idiots. And the same is true in the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, some of you, maybe you're in a place right now where you've learned a few things enough to where you're like, Psh, children, spiritual children, morons, but you still haven't been beat up enough by life to where you have enough humility to go to somebody else and let them pour into you. You feel like you have nothing to learn from anybody else. You've kind of arrived. You haven't arrived. You're in adolescence. The person here who thinks they've arrived, I promise you, you have not arrived. And and so what I would just say is if you're in this stage, and I think we do have a lot of people in this stage, one of the greatest things you can do is grow in humility in 2018. And one of the greatest things you can do is step into community. And to find people specifically who are ahead of you. And man, why in the world would you not go and just ask them question after question after question? Why not get around them and just mimic their faith and learn why they are the way they are? If you will do this, listen, as a spiritual adolescent, over time through the hard knocks of life, as you are continuing to grow in an awareness of the Father's love and you're serving others and living in community, then and only then can you reach the final stage, which is spiritual adulthood. And here's what I want to say about spiritual adulthood. To be a spiritual adult does not mean you've arrived. Do you know what being a spiritual adult means? 
It means that you realize you need Jesus more than anybody else around you. To be a spiritual adult is not to arrive. To be a spiritual adult means that you realize more than ever before that you need Jesus. And as a result of that, you look to Jesus, you cling to Jesus, you cherish Jesus. And as you spend more and more time abiding in Jesus, you grow in things like generosity. You grow in graciousness. You become a person marked by forgiveness. You're quick to forgive others. You, you have a life marked by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And not only when you're a spiritual adult do you want to see fruit being produced in your own life, you want to see fruit produced in the life of others as well. And so spiritual adults are people who are actually trying to develop people underneath them. They're actually trying to make disciples who, who make disciples. And what Paul says, man, again, is this is the main focus of his ministry. He says this should be the natural progression of the spiritual life from infancy to childhood to adolescence to adulthood. This is what Paul is after. And he says, look, I'm, I'm after seeing each of you grow up to become spiritual adults. Not so you can retire and go spend a bunch of time at the lake, but so that more and more we can see more and more people in the church who are actually seeking to make disciples who make disciples, who aren't just being contributors, but they're being spiritual investors, investing in the lives of others in a way that will go even beyond their own life. Because we are a church that is committed to growing disciples who grow disciples and launching missional communities that launch more missional communities and planting churches that plant more churches. Every year, guys, we're going to take time to recommit to this vision of growing up in Christ, to reaching full maturity. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some structures that we've put in place that try to help us grow up into Christ to become the men and the women God has called us to be. And to help us get there, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to have discussion guides that are going to go, uh, that are going to correspond with these um, sermons that you can partake in in your missional community. And here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. I want to encourage you to do this. Take seriously this question. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself and to begin to work out in community. Ask yourself, in light of this sermon, where am I personally in the spiritual stages of development? Where am I personally in the spiritual stages of development? Am I an infant? Am I a child? Am I an adolescent? Am I an adult? And to help you make sure that you're growing in self-awareness, ask other people that you love and that are around you the same question. And if they really love you, they'll tell you the truth. And then here's the next question I'm going to encourage each of you to ask yourself. What am I doing about it to make sure that I'm growing up and moving into the next stage? What am I personally going to do about it in order to grow up and help move into the next stage? This is the reason we do membership renewal every single year. It's to help you answer those questions and actually put a plan in place to begin to implement it. And here's what I want to say before we just dismiss, and I appreciate your, your patience with the starting late today and, and everything. I think we can get out here in the next three or four minutes. What I want to encourage, or what I want to leave with you before we leave, is just a few burdens that's on my heart in light of membership renewal. Because I know last year we didn't get a whole lot of pushback, but we got some, and we're a lot bigger this year than we were last year, so I expect we'll get some pushback again this year. And here's what I just want to say in front of all of you on Sunday morning is, is, is just three things. One, please know this, membership renewal is not about legalism, it's about life. Membership renewal is about helping you go deeper and deeper into the life Christ has called you to live. And we're not telling you that you have to do any of this to earn God's love. We're just saying, 
you really need to put some of the stuff into, into practice if you want to experience more of God's love. If you notice, whenever you get your little form and you'll get it in your group me or an email, the things that we're calling you to do, right, what you're going to realize is we're not calling you to any more than Christ has already called you to. Nor are we calling you to less. And guys, why would you want pastors that would call you to less? We're going to call you to what Christ has called you to. And listen, here's a fear that I have. Is I'm so afraid of what's going to happen is, is, is in our generation's attempt to recover the gospel and to be a grace-centered church, which is a movement we should totally be on board for and never walk away from, in our attempt to do that, what I'm afraid is going to happen if we're not careful is we're going to swing the pendulum so far the other way that we're going to say, you know what? If you ask me to make any sacrifices, if you ask me to do anything that I don't necessarily feel like doing, well, that's legalism. Guys, that's not legalism. We said it over and over in, in 2017, grace is opposed to earning, it's not opposed to effort. And there are scores of verses, we read them earlier, like 1 Timothy, train, strive, toil in the Christian life, exercise your faith. That's why membership renewal is here. It's to help us begin to do that. Second thing I just want to say is this, is membership renewal, it's not about perfection, but about progression. Membership renewal is not about perfection, it's about Progression. And here's what I mean by that. At Fellowship, we've always said this from the very beginning of before we even launched. Fellowship is a place where it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to want to stay there. And therefore, as pastors, we are going to call all of us to continue to grow up into Christ. And we're going to do this in a culture of gospel plus safety plus time, which means you're going to be hit with wave after wave after wave of the gospel, being reminded that you're loved not for what you do, but what Christ has done for you. It's also going to be a culture of safety where, guess what? When you fall, not if you fall, but when you fall, you're not going to be condemned. You're not going to be talked about behind your back. We're not going to have, there's no tolerance for gossip in our church. There's no tolerance for looking down at others who are, are behind us in the stages of development. It's going to be a safe place to grow, and it's a culture of time. And the reason we're going to give you time is because we're complicated people, amen? And we have a lot of baggage, and nobody changes overnight. So we're not asking you to change overnight. We're just asking that we all seek to make progress from where we are. And the third thing I want to say, and I will just end here, is ultimately there is no process that's going to make you mature. There's no structure that we can put in place that will make you grow. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You have to spend time with Jesus. You have to take personal responsibility for abiding in Jesus. Jesus says in John 15 that when you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But if you do not abide in me, you will do nothing. And so as we end this morning, I just want to ask you this question. Are you personally abiding in Christ? That's where I want to end this morning. The question is not, do you like Jesus? The question is not, do you, are you faithful in the church? But are you abiding in Jesus? Do you have a personal, intimate, enjoyable relationship with Jesus? Some of you in here, listen, you've been in the church for years. And you know why you're not growing? Because you're not even a spiritual infant. You've not been reborn. You like what Jesus can do for you. But you really don't like Jesus that much when you think about it. Jesus is not your treasure He's your ticket. He's a ticket you take. It's kind of like, I, pr I, got, I prayed my prayer so I can get out of hell, and that's that. You will not grow if you do not have a personal, intimate, enjoyable relationship with Christ. And so today, the call is, if you are not an infant, give your life to Jesus. If you're here today and you're an infant and you need to become a child, 
Again, keep giving your life to Jesus. If you're a child, you need to become an adolescent. Keep giving your life to Jesus. If you're an adolescent, you need to become an adult. Keep giving your life to Jesus. He is where our hope is, and he is all that we have.